Guys, my new book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital, just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. It's ranking extremely high on Kindle and Audible, and I want to thank you guys for grabbing it. If you haven't bought it yet, here's what James Y. said in an Amazon review on March 8th. He said, literally, a step-by-step blueprint for conquering the world and building your own empire. Five stars. It's a verified purchase. He goes on to say, if you like doing things the hard way, don't read this book. For everyone else who appreciates someone showing you what to do and why it works step-by-step so you can rinse and repeat and accomplish the same results, read this book now in all caps. He then says, pro tip, stock up on highlighters while you're adding this to your Amazon cart, you'll be using them. This book should be required reading for every entrepreneur, startup or founder, business person, and human. Seriously, Nathan isn't in a kind of class that cuts through all the bull crap, he used a different word, to show you what you need to do and how to do it. If success came with an instruction manual, this book would be it. We'll be stocking up and handing these out as Christmas gifts to all my friends and colleagues. If I could give this book a six-star review, I would. From James, James, thank you. All you that listen to the podcast, thank you so much. SaaS founders are loving the book. Go grab an audible version right now at capitalistbook.com. Joined user testing in 27, uh, well, actually just a couple of months ago here in 2018, but the company user testing was launched in 2008, really driving human-centered insights, right? Uh, you put up a project, they'll go through a flow for you, you get to watch them, hear them, they give you great feedback. Now serving over 3,000 really enterprise customers, 33,000 there in the long tail, doing between 60 and 70 million bucks in terms of ARR, hoping to grow about 40% year over year between the end of 2017 and the end of 2018. They've raised 74 million bucks. Economics underneath are super healthy, 84% gross revenue retention uh, annually. That's 115% on a net basis. So healthy expansion, which allows them to be aggressive with CAC paying up, you know, $1.50 to call it $1.70 for a new dollar of ARR, which puts payback period in the 19 month range has a team of about 250 people, 120 sales, marketing, onboarding based between San Fran, Atlanta, and other remote locations, especially uh, the inside salespeople that are out on the road. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. They had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Andy McMillian. He's the CEO of User Testing, the leading human insights company. Prior to User Testing, he was CEO of Acton Software and COO of products at Salesforce. Andy is from the Detroit area and has a BA from Michigan State University and an MBA from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Andy, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. All right. You're, you're four or five months in now at User Testing. Is that what you expected? It is, uh, which I guess is thankfully what you're always hoping for as a CEO when you jump into a company is that it's what you're expecting. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been great so far. No, so no big surprises, right? That's right. Good. That's very good to hear. All right. For people that are not familiar, just give us a quick overview. What does user testing do and what's your revenue model? How do you make money? Sure. We're, we're a SaaS business, so we make money like most SaaS companies selling subscription software. Uh, what the platform really does is help companies connect directly with uh, end users, customers, prospective customers 
to give feedback on their actual product and service. So if you build an app or a website, you could use user testing to reach out and say, this is my, my demographic, my target audience. And then we give you rapid feedback. So most of the time in about two hours, you get a video back of your audience actually using your product and giving you real feedback on what it feels like to engage with your product or your service. And that's what we call human insight. It gives you empathetic, real feedback from a real person. And you guys, based off my research teams, you know, feedback they give me, you guys have really doubled down on the word human. And, you know, I'm going to ask the question, you know, there's a lot of upstarts, hot jar, full story, maybe not an upstart and full story, but others that are kind of doing this in a very automated fashion, basically recording sessions from people who naturally hit your website or your experience. Walk me through how you're trying to differentiate from those guys. Yeah, I think for us, we view it as an and. Uh, we think the you know the era of big data is upon us, and that's great. It's really nice to have a lot of data about where people are clicking or what they're doing on your site or in your app. But we also think data isn't a replacement for actually having empathy for what real people are doing. So we have a lot of customers who have a big data strategy where they're using something you mentioned, full story, as an example. So they might be using full story to track all the clicks of the people at their website. But what they also want to do is say, hey, we're thinking about maybe making a change to our global navigation. Let's Get some real feedback from some real people we can watch, use the site, and hear what they're experiencing and see what they're doing. Uh, in fact, I think it was uh, in his most recent shareholder letter, Jeff Bezos of Amazon said, you know, data is not a replacement for the customer. I think that's really what we're trying to do is bring that human uh, feedback, that human loop back into the conversation. So it's really an and. You know, you want great data. You also want to have empathy and see what real users are going through when they use your site or your app or your product. And walk me through, you know, you have a lot of different, I imagine, customer cohorts. But on average, what is a customer paying you per month to use the software? Uh, It varies a ton. Uh, We go all the way down having individual developers or product people who are using our our product, uh, maybe a single developer building an Amazon site, but up to the largest companies in the world. Uh, A large company is typically spending anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred K uh, on an annual basis to have uh, their UX research team and their designers on our platform. Yep. And would you say, I mean, would you say the average is more towards 50 bucks a month across your customer base or actually no, it's really more enterprise and enterprise sale at $50,000 ACVs paid up front annual plans. Much towards the latter, although we have a mix of both. Okay. Got it. Fair enough. And kind of put this on a timeline for me. I know you just joined the company, but when was the company launched? company was actually launched 10 years ago, and it started it really as a, a pay-as-you-go model, the idea that you would have something you needed tested, and you would come to our website, and you would pay you know, a one-time fee to have one test run, essentially. And about four or five years ago, we started having some of the largest companies in the world coming to us and saying, hey, this is really great, but I need to do this at scale. I need to bake this into my process. I need this to be part of how I build and develop product. And that's really where our subscription product was born. And, and that's, just, that's just taken off. And so now, you know, a vast majority of the revenue and the focus of the company has been into that subscription area. And that's you know kind of how the subscription business was born here. A consumption based model, which for you, it's obviously just I think you're you're normalizing around the pricing axis, number of videos basically produced back for the enterprise brand you're working with. Um, some people struggle with this model because then they have to focus every by the way, this is a good thing. It forces the focus on every single month driving that usage or that behavior. Um, I imagine you've built that into the software. So it's kind of a no touch usage model and maybe some there's some an exec on it as well, an enterprise account executive or something. How do you drive and make sure that usage stays consistent month over month so you truly do have predictable revenue? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and it's very true. Although with our product, I think part of what's unique about it is because we're delivering an experience back to our customers where they're watching someone use their product. Uh, in many ways, uh, it doesn't scale like a data product scales. You actually have to put the time in to get the value out. 
So for a lot of our customers, they actually have an unlimited consumption model. What they're paying for are seats, people who can get the insights. And because they actually have to invest the time to consume the insights, that actually helps protect us from you know ridiculous usage in an unlimited model, um, but actually provides a ton of value to our customers because as they run different projects, they can just ramp up and use more of the product really as needed. We do have, as you would expect in most enterprise kind of SaaS models, we have a customer success team that is engaged with our customers and making sure onboarded correctly, that they know how to set up and run the studies. Uh, we do, uh, like any good SaaS company, you know, we have metrics in our own product to make sure that we're seeing adoption and, and usage and that people are getting value. And if they're not, you know, we swoop in and help make sure they understand, you know, how to use the product or how to plug it into their process. And, and what, give me a sense of what the team size is today. Uh, we're about 250 people today. Okay. Based everyone's in San Fran or California somewhere? Uh, we've got two offices in the Bay Area, one in San Francisco, one in Mountain View. And we actually have a good size office in Atlanta. Uh, and then for our larger clients, you would imagine we have a field sales and success teams. So we have a lot of people that home office and are near our customers, which I think is really important at that level. And, and so of those 250 people, how many of them are part of either the onboarding sales or kind of marketing teams? About 120. So fairly significant. Okay. I mean, that's fairly significant. I imagine that team scaled pretty significantly after you guys' last round. I think it was what, 45 or something from Excel? That's right. Yeah, so we've been scaling that, um, I think, very efficiently and effectively. So we're seeing a really good return on our sales team as well as our success team. Uh, but that's right. I mean, if you're going to go uh, to a large, you know, Fortune 500 company and work with them to bring human insights into their process, you know, you do need to show up. You need to be there and make sure that they're going to be successful. And, you know, that's part of what our field team does every day. And how much uh, I, know, I know you guys have raised. I don't know how much, though. How much altogether have you guys raised? Uh, I think we're at about 74 right now. 74. Um, it depends. If you look at Crunchbase, some of it was secondary, so it's always a little tough to map that in. Um, but that's about what we've raised. Yeah, yeah. N- none since you've come on four or five months ago. That's correct. Yeah. So, so walk me through, as you come in, you know, you move from Acton, which, you know, they've got, I would say, more of a multi... I mean, you guys had their more, much more of a multi-pronged approach. I mean, talk about, yeah, I mean, loads of products, bunch of different upsells, ARPU expansion across a SMB customer base. You could argue it's a very different model than, than user testing if user testing really is kind of enterprise $50,000 ACV kind of things. What was more exciting for you? I mean, why leave Acton for the user testing opportunity? Um, I think with Acton, what was exciting was the that the company was in, I think in marketing automation, really seeing a resurgence of the technology. I'm a product guy by background, so I find that tech to be particularly interesting. Um, a lot of the focus there was actually taking Acton from being really, really SMB, kind of month-to-month contract. What we did was move that to an annual model, started competing much more in the mid-market, competing with folks like Marketo, um, and really trying to get that company, frankly, kind of do a healthier place, because I think those month-to-month businesses can be pretty tough. We certainly accomplished that. Uh, we consolidated the company into Portland, which is where the company was founded. Uh, I think it had grown too fast and, and too too low end. Uh, and so as we did that, you know, my family here in the Bay Area, so it didn't make a lot of sense for me to pick up and move to Portland. Uh, and what I liked about user testing was this feeling I've had for a long time that a lot of the products even I use in my day-to-day life might feel like there's been good data telling them where to position everything, but it doesn't feel like a good product. It doesn't engage me. I don't enjoy using it. I mean, my click data might say uh, I'm in the product every day, but it's not a good experience. And so when I met Daryl, the the founder of user testing, we had a lunch together and he started describing what the product does. And as a product manager, I mean, it, it tugged right at my heartstrings. We actually go out and get real feedback from real people to have better experiences. Um, And that's really important to me. I think where we have failed sometimes in Silicon Valley is how do we make technology work well with people, not just with other technology? How do we make 
that it really engages the end user. And so having a product that does that, I thought was an incredible opportunity. So I, I kind of couldn't wait to join once I met Daryl. And where do you see most of your growth coming from over the next, call it six to 12 months? Is it expansion into your current accounts, new accounts, new product lines to upsell into? Where do you think the expansion is going to come from? Yeah, it's two areas. So the first area is what I would consider kind of our traditional market space, which is UX research teams and designers, you know, people that are using a product like an Envision or an Adobe XD, and they're building prototypes, and they want to go test those. Uh, That's really been our core audience to date. And we're continuing to see a lot of acceleration in just that strategy being adopted overall by product teams. You'll hear things like design thinking, when you go to a product conference, which really means, you know, get those prototypes out there early. And so I think that market is going to continue to grow for us. The second, sorry, sorry, Andy, does that mean, the, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but before you go to number two, does that mean you're going to add new customers in that segment? Or you think you can grow the teams that you have five people from one company using, you can grow that to 50 people? Well, that's actually what's amazing is both of those are happening. So we believe that the leaders in customer experience today, ones that are winning markets, those companies are continuing to invest in customer experience. And so we're growing rapidly inside those companies. Their competitors are seeing what they're doing and realizing they're losing customer experience. And then they're reaching out to us and we're growing in those accounts as well. So we're seeing both significant logo growth and we're seeing significant growth within the logos we're at already. Uh, we see pretty massive expansion uh, inside our accounts. Uh, you know, when I joined you know, just in my first quarter, we had a, a large you know, Fortune 50 company where you know, we started off in one department. And we're in the process of doing a ULA with them to go across 28 departments that's just grown organically. What are some company. of those departments? So both of those are happening. Uh, it, it varies a ton. Uh, we see people doing um, product research. So if you have different product lines within a large company, often different groups will take up doing real product research at different points in time. Uh, we see a trend with this design thinking model of actually trying to embed UX research teams into product squads. So we saw this happen a while ago with the quality team. It used to be had centralized quality control. And then we started putting the QE team in with the devs. Well, now we're starting to see UX researchers and designers embedded with those teams. So as more teams embed those resources, those become great opportunities for us. We're also starting to see the use of the product expand where people are finding, frankly, other use cases where they want to put their customer in the center of a discussion, uh, which is kind of actually, frankly, leading into that second point I was going to make, which is we have a lot of customers who use our product, and then almost like a productivity hack, they realize, hey, this is a really great vehicle for getting feedback on things like a, like a prototype or my application, but I also just sometimes want to talk to customers. And so we found that product teams and marketing teams were signing up as customers, even though we weren't really marketing to them, especially marketing teams, and they were using our platform to do things like conduct a focus group. Even though they, So they weren't testing a prototype or doing a usability test, per se. They were asking someone, hey, give me some feedback on this concept. Take a look at this slide. How does it make you feel? And so one of the things we want to do is expand our product portfolio to go meet that demand more head on. You know, Speak to that audience with our product and with our market messaging. So that's part of the expansion we've seen in these accounts that we have already, where customers are saying, hey marketed your product to do a which was you know usability and design research but we're using it to do all these other things we're doing a voice of customer program one of my customers has an executive team that every month every executive for 30 minutes has a a call on our platform a virtual discussion with an end user of their product and they just ask them how's it going and what are you doing with the product and what do you like about it what do you not like about it we didn't design it as a voice of customer platform but it's a really good use case for our product and for what our panel provides so you know, I think that's a really big opportunity for the company. It really speaks to that human insights concept, but it's not just about design feedback. It's about any place that you want to put your actual customer 
in the middle of a process, a conversation with people that meet your you know, prospect or customer. So Andy, let's circle back to that in a second. I have some other questions there, but whenever you have healthy expansion revenue, you've got a shot at net revenue retention being above 100%. Uh, have you guys hit that? And if so, how far above 100% are you? Yeah, we, we go up and down between about 115 and 117. Pretty healthy. Really positive net retention. Um, I will add, and this is one of my hot button issues as a SaaS CEO, I actually think there's significant room to, to grow that higher. Um, and the way we're going to grow that higher is by not focusing on net retention is we're going to focus even more on gross retention, which is to me, every customer that spends a dollar with us should get more than a dollar of value out of the product or service that they buy from us. And I think if we focus on that, all the expansion comes with it. And so one of my big goals is to continue to see improvement on our gross retention number. And I think that even drives net retention higher. So yeah. we're a, a company that believes net retention is really important to a SaaS company, but I'm a, a CEO that believes the focus of a SaaS company should be gross retention, not net, and that that results in, in even more upside. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there's two there's two layers to the net revenue retention onion. One is expansion, which can cover up bad gross, right? So you're just saying expansion's already healthy. Our bigger opportunity is to make gross even stronger. Peel back that onion for us right now. What is gross like churn revenue for you annually right now? Yeah, we're at about 84% gross retention. That's not horrible which is, which is, either. Yeah, especially because we, we still have a large number of SMB customers. And I think that segment's just naturally tougher. There's more acquisition, expansion, companies that go out of business. Like SMB's just naturally a, a tougher space. Whether you're, you know, Salesforce or you're a you know tiny SMB SaaS company, always have more challenge in the SMB segment than in other places. Uh, but I think that's a really big opportunity. And that's something that you know I have found repeatedly. Um, you know, when I speak at, at SaaS conferences and things like that, one of my big areas of CEOs to think about the fact you don't want to incent your post-sales team on net retention. Let your sales team go sell the upsell. They're the, they're the sellers. You want a post-sales team that gets up every day and just says, my, my job is to make customers successful. My job is to make customers get value from what we're doing. And so um, we frankly haven't been lined up that way. We've made that change since I've joined. And yet we still have very good gross retention numbers. So I think there's a lot of upside for us to even do better there. Yeah. few last questions are on economics and we're running out of time. So we'll go quickly through these. But talk to me in terms of a CAC. What are you willing to spend to acquire one of these new customers in your enterprise cohort? Enterprise cohort. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm a little more liberal on this than most. I'm willing to spend $1.50 to $1.70. But all that's based on this idea of having really high gross retention. Yeah. And just to be clear, you're willing to spend $1.50 to $1.70 to get one new dollar of ARR? That's correct. Yeah. Um, so break that down for me, payback period wise. That you're you're happy. I mean, that's would be pushing what is eighteen month, twenty month payback period in some cases. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. And, that's, and again, that's because if you can reduce those dollars closer to ninety percent plus, have significant net retention. Right. If I'm going to retain that at ninety plus percent, and I'm going to sell thirty to forty more cents on top of that dollar over the first year or two, I think that's a very reasonable CAC, but you really have to have that gross retention and that upside potential for that to make sense. Yep. And it makes sense. Which, look, which thankfully we do here. It sounds like you've got predictability in terms of adding another 30 or 40%. If your gross retention is 84% and your net is 115, it sounds like your expansion there is a healthy 35, 36%, right? So that's, good. that's right. The numbers work. Um, last question here. Give me a sense of growth. So you joined four or five months ago between the end of 2017 and the end of 2018, what percentage do you hope to grow by? Uh, around 40%. Okay, 40%. And how do you back into that number? Is that you, kind of you setting it, the board setting it? How do you get that? Uh, that's the number I inherited joining, but it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Uh, I, I, spent a, I spent a bunch of time with the co-founder before I joined, uh, really getting to understand the plan, 
if I didn't like the plan, I would have changed the plan. Um, but in, and frankly, that was a slightly conservative plan because they knew that they were going to go through this this leadership transition. It was something that our co-founder he actually led that process. Uh, this is his second startup that's gone more than ten years. He wants to go do some more social good in the world and controlled this process from the beginning. In fact, he had controlling interest of the board. Uh, more or less when he kind of made this decision. So they put together a fairly conservative plan, and we seem to be now beating that plan. We beat our Q2 plan by about 20%. We're on pace with our Q3 plan. So, you know, feeling pretty good about making those numbers and, uh, and growing the business. And how many customers to date? Uh, we have about 3,000 customers. Oh, 3,000. Okay, that's I, I read when you, they did the press release for you joining a CEO, it was 35,000. So is it 35,000 users, but 3,000 paying customers? It's 35,000 if you think of the long tail of the SMB space and the page to go customers. It's about 3,000 in the subscription business, which again drives the bulk of our revenue. We, I see. we still have a pay as you go business where people can come and sign up for a $50 test. It's not really our enterprise product, but I still think it's very valuable to make sure that we're servicing those kind of entrepreneurs and people that are starting an app or a business. Yeah. Okay. Got it. That makes perfect sense. So just to be clear, those, those extra call it 33 ish thousand, those are people paying, you know, 49 bucks a month for 15 videos. That's right. I see. That's right. I see. Got it. Okay. And then 3000, that's really true SaaS. Um, very good. And uh, last question. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I, and I, give that number, I give that number specifically. Just so we don't come on and say, look, you know, our average, you know, customers and enterprise customer paying us a couple hundred K a year. And then so we have 35,000 customers. I think, you know, people listening at home would do that math and think this doesn't all add up. So 3000 <laughs> in that subscription base, 35,000 is kind of a long tail of, of smaller companies that use our product, which is great too. I, I think that's an important part of the SaaS business. Yeah. No, I did that math and I said, I'm in the wrong business. Andy's cranking 125 million bucks a month. This something's not adding up here. So, so this, <laughs> right, this right. makes more sense. Can you give us a general sense of ARR range you're at today? Yeah, we're between 60 and 70 million in ARR. Okay. Pretty, that's look healthy numbers there. And do you think you'll break, like call it 80 by the end of the year? Uh, we'll be close. We'll be close. Very good. All right. Let's wrap up Andy with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? My favorite business book is The Goal by Eli Goldratt. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, Mary Barra of General Motors. Number uh, three, what's your favorite online tool for building your business besides your own? Uh, you know, I'm a Google inbox fanatic. I'm really hoping Google doubles down on that product because uh, I love it. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? About six, but it's probably a rough number because I have a two-year-old. So I'm oh, up pretty early most days. One kid or more? Uh, I have a nine and seven-year-old boys as well. I have okay. a two-year-old little girl. Ooh, three okay. kids. Three kids. Uh, married? Yes. And how old are you, Andy? Uh, 41. 41. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, I wish my 20-year-old self uh, knew that I was not as wise as I thought I was and to get a lot more experience at that age um, with my eyes a little bit more wide open. Guys, there you have it. Has a lot of experience in SaaS at scale coming from Acton. Joined user testing in 27, uh, well, actually just a couple of months ago here in 2018, but the company user testing was launched in 2008, really driving human-centered insights, right? Uh, you put up a project, they'll go through a flow for you. You get to watch them, hear them. They give you great feedback. Now serving over 3,000 really enterprise customers, 33,000 there in the long tail, doing between 60 and 70 million bucks in terms of ARR, hoping to grow about 40% year over year between the end of 2017 and the end of 2018. 18. They've raised 74 million bucks. Economics underneath are super healthy. 84% gross revenue retention uh, annually. That's 115% on a net basis. So healthy expansion, which allows them to be aggressive with CAC, paying up, you know, $1.50 to call it $1.70 for a new dollar of ARR, which puts payback period in the 19 month range. Has a team of about 250 people, 120 sales, marketing, onboarding based between San Fran, Atlanta, and other remote locations, especially uh, the inside sales people that are out on the road. Andy, thank you so much for taking us to the top. All right. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.